This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 176. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I am hosting all by myself. <laughs> so uh, this is a special episode this week. It was a uh, uh, holiday, obviously. We had Thanksgiving. So with that, I, I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. I uh, hope that you were able to uh, enjoy it with family or perhaps uh, you know, at least do something you enjoy doing yourself. Uh, and, you know, for some of you, you may have even got out to the range on Thanksgiving Day or this week and enjoyed yourself that way as far as exercising your Second Amendment rights. And so that would be really awesome. In fact, as I think about that, you know what? If you got out to the range this week or especially on Thanksgiving Day itself, uh, either by yourself or hopefully maybe enjoying it with some friends or family, do us do me a favor. Send me a photo of you or your family or friends at the range this week or on Thanksgiving Day and send it to podcast at concealedcarry.com. We'd love to see it and maybe we'll throw that up somewhere on our Facebook page or something. Uh, that'd be really fun to share and, and uh, talk about. Um, anyway, I certainly I have a lot to be thankful for, thankful for family, thankful for work, thankful for uh, my right to keep and bear arms, the Second Amendment. And also I'm thankful for the opportunity to do this podcast. So uh, thank you all of you that listen and I guess give us a reason to do the podcast. <laughs> so anyway, today's episode, by the way, like I said, is a special episode. I am recording it by myself. Um, I you know, part of the holiday this week, you know, that it, it just was really difficult to get the episode uh, put together or to record with uh, Jacob or Matthew or anyone else. Uh, so uh, th this is actually happening on late on Saturday night. I just got back from a trip out of town, seeing family and uh, literally drove all day, got up this you know morning pretty early, got on the road and it's late Saturday and I'm just getting to this. So I apologize for that. But uh, it is what it is. Today's episode is going to be a little different than usual. Uh, I'll explain what that will be here just in just a minute. But uh, first of all, today's episode, we just have two sponsors today. Uh, the first one is Glock E-Trainer. Uh, you've probably heard us talk a, a little bit about the Glock E-Trainer in some previous episodes. It's been a, a sponsor of episodes a couple of times now. And, you know, the Glocky trainer is a really cool dry fire training tool. I just, I just think it's great, you know, because it allows you to dry fire practice safely and do some things that you normally can't do, uh, particularly with your Glock pistols. Now, I know this is a Glock only product and some of that has to do with the fact that Glocks are just so simply designed and, and they're designed in such a way that the Glocky trainer was very easy to to have designed to patent, by the way, and put together and it allows the, the Glock trigger to function back and forth without having to reset it each time. Meaning typically when we dry fire practice with a Glock pistol or with any certainly semi-automatic striker fired pistols, you find yourself doing this between shots. Yeah, that whole racking every time between trigger presses, which is 
you know, it's a training scar, a muscle memory mistake. I would almost, you know, I would classify that as we, we did an episode about muscle memory mistakes or MMMs or the three M's or whatever we called that. Uh, and th- that sort of training scar is probably not a good thing to be drilling all the time. So the Glock E trainer or Glock easy trainer allows you to have that back and forth manipulation of the trigger. Now it doesn't give you a break. It just allows that trigger to go back and forth and back and forth, which yeah, you're not going to get practice, dry fire practice with that actual trigger manipulation, but you don't always have to. That's not the only thing that you're concerned with dry fire practicing, right? So the Glock E trainer allows you to simply easily, uh, practice things like drawing from a holster, uh, presentation to a target, you know, practice those re- repeated tr- uh, presentations where you're coming out of the holster, getting on target, and you're working that trigger and even multiple times in the same presentation, which would be a, a better <laughs> training. Uh, I won't call it a scar because in that case, it's, it's less of a scar. It's more of a, uh, a proper or helpful way to train. So I know you're, it's not ideal because you're not getting that trigger break, but you know, that that's okay. Cause there, there are other opportunities to practice that as well. Uh, using I either, uh, well, particularly I love the cert pistol, right? So that, that's a great way to get that trigger reset, uh, and, and get that click as well. But, uh, anyway, lots of opportunities to use the Glock E trainer for dry fire practice. But the best part of all, I think is that it's incredibly affordable. It's less than $25. And there's hard, there's really hardly any dry fire training tools out there that that are that affordable. So it's a no brainer. If you own a Glock pistol, go get the Glock E Trainer today. GlockETrainer.com. Once again, GlockETrainer.com. And today's other sponsor of the episode is Guardian Nation. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, and you know, you'll, you'll see why here in just a minute, as I explain how today's episode is going to work, why it certainly makes sense that the guardian nation is, is today's spo- episode sponsor as well. So why don't I go ahead and get into, uh, how today's episode is going to go. And so, like I said, it is going to be a little bit different than typical episodes. And, and the reason why is because it is kind of a replay of sorts, although not really a replay of a past podcast episode. It is a replay of some, it's the audio from a couple of videos that we've published. uh, One of which I think is on our YouTube channel uh, from Matthew Marister, an instructor in our instructor network at concealedcarry.com. And he instructs in Ohio, in the uh, Columbus, Ohio area. Fantastic instructor instructor. Matthew is a former law enforcement officer with El Cajon uh, Police Department in uh, just basically a a suburb of San Diego, California. And he's also a Marine. Uh, Matthew talks about holster dangers and why, you know, some things you need to watch for with holsters. Um, This was a great little video segment he did. Now, I know that the audio quality is not ideal. Uh, This was not recorded on uh, some high-end fancy podcast mic like you are accustomed to hearing us on here at the, uh, at the program. But uh, so the, the audio quality is not as awesome, but the content is really key and important. So I hope you'll enjoy listening to Matthew as he talks about some real life stories, some things that have happened to people with holsters. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and play back this audio file now from Matthew Marister. We'll see on the other side. 
Hey everyone, Matthew Mercer from Lucos Tactical. Today I want to talk about a topic, and this comes from a couple articles. One that I read about seven years ago, and then one that just popped up uh, recently. And it has to do with holsters and the fact that sometimes holsters cause negligent discharges, okay? So what I want to do is break down the two incidents and then see if we can't recreate what happened. The goal of this video is not to point blame at anybody. Okay, what it is, is we want to always be safer. I'm a huge proponent of firearm safety. Obviously, I'm a responsible gun owner, and I know a lot of you are as well. But sometimes what ends up happening is we see an article, and we jump to conclusions as to um, what is safe, okay? And we miss what the actual issue was, and that was the piece of gear or the training, okay? So what I want to do is break down kind of the myth from reality quick. The first one is from 2011 where somebody is carrying a Glock 19 in an outside the waistband Galco all leather holster. They get in their vehicle on the passenger side, they turn a little bit in their hole in their seat, gun goes off. Okay, obviously carrying with the round in the chamber like most of us do. Round nicks his hip, goes through the frame of the car, hits the ground, nobody is uh, seriously injured, thank God. Then the second story is from in 2017, so just recently, and this has to do with an all uh, nylon holster. And the idea with this, or the incident occurred where the subject is getting in his vehicle again, this time he's on the driver's side, but doesn't even sit down yet, gun goes off okay through the nylon holster and um, this there's a lot of uh, gray area involved in this uh, incident because there's some missing information that if I interviewed the, the guy who it happened to would have asked some questions we don't know the kind of gun um, we know that it is a Blackhawk all nylon um, holster okay we don't know if his gun was modified or anything like that we don't know anything we just know that he's carrying with the round in the chamber black uh, blackhawk all nylon inside the waistband holster we don't uh, and we do know that he was carrying um, small of the back okay so we know the the, the uh, method of carry right and how he's carrying so um, I want to break these two down because there's a lot of myth surrounding it and there are a lot of jumping to conclusions that occurred from these two um, stories and it normally goes down the path of, well, these, not the, the holsters are themselves are dangerous or that, you know, potentially there were some safety um, issues that, that the gun owners weren't, weren't following, but that carrying with the round in the chamber is dangerous or carrying a striker fired gun is dangerous or carrying a, a firearm without a manual safety, external safety is dangerous. And that's what I want to focus on because there are, a lot of valid reasons to carry a striker fired gun, to carry a gun without a manual external safety, um, and uh, to carry with the round in the chamber. And if we jump down that road or we go down that road without really analyzing the incidents themselves, um, we can potentially be steering people away or steering ourselves away from being confident in carrying with the round in the chamber or um, doing something that you don't feel comfortable with as far as needing a gun that's a double action uh, only firearm or needing a firearm with a manual external safety and there's nothing wrong with those but we need to base our decisions on what, what type of gun we carry 
based off of the facts, okay? And what I wanna go through now is just kinda trying to recreate the whole incident, okay? So let's start with the first one with uh, the all-leather holster, okay? Now, um, the all-leather holster I have here is not a Galco, but for all intents and purposes, they're, they're all the same. This is two pieces of leather, okay? So this is an all-leather holster. And I'm gonna use my Glock 27 for this. Um, so before we get started, um, clear nothing in the magazine well nothing in the chamber so this gun is definitely clear so what I want to do is talk about um, is it possible to manipulate the trigger with an all-leather holster some people say I won't use all leather I just I'll just use kydex okay and there's nothing wrong with kydex um, but I want to make sure if you're steering away from leather you know that you know you know the facts okay so this is a, 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 a worn holster, okay? I've worn this holster for a long time, I've used it a lot, and, and it shows some wear. But I cannot, I could not manipulate this trigger, no matter how long I could make this video an hour long, trying to manipulate this trigger through here. And unless I pierce through this leather, um, it's, it's not gonna happen, okay? If you see in the photo of the actual holster that cause the negligent discharge, you can see that the holster is so uh, broken in and the area around the trigger guard is so pinched down and kind of folded in there that you could just potentially, even not, um, you know, not being totally aware, could just look at that and say, something's wrong, it's not right. So the idea that all other holsters are bad or something like that uh, misses the fact that in this particular case, um, the holster was so worn and so unserviceable that it should have been in the trash long before this happened. And I'm not blaming the, the guy that, it, that you know this happened to. Um, he, he admitted in the, in the article probably that you know he should have caught that. Uh, but the issue is, is that holster um, was not functioning the way it was designed, right? Um, so, goes to show that even with the leather holster, they're very, very reliable, they're very durable and everything, but you have to maintain it, okay? Um, you have to make sure that it, it's not broken down so much that that, that area in there gets um, pinched in too much, okay? Where it could actually manipulate the trigger. Okay, so I think in that case, um, we can say, safely say that um, the issue was more with the uh, holster, the holster's condition rather than the holster itself, okay? So leather holsters, very good, very durable. You've gotta make sure you maintain it. And if your gear is unserviceable, get rid of it and get something new. Okay, second story was the one recent in 2017, and that was the one with the nylon holster. Now, I have two nylon holsters. Um, the nylon holster in that incident was a Blackhawk, uh, an all nylon holster. I don't have Blackhawk uh, nylon holsters, but I have two uh, nylon holsters. One is all, all nylon, and the other one is kind of a neoprene that, and nylon that's actually probably thinner than nylon. So I wanted to do both of them uh, to see if, if it's uh, likely or possible. So we'll use this one first. And 
just let me show you that the gun is is cocked. So I want to show you that um, we're trying to manipulate this trigger to the rear, okay? So we'll know if we take the gun out and the, and the trigger's to the rear. So I'm, gonna, I'm pushing in on this really, really hard. And there's no way that I can manipulate this trigger to the rear even, even slightly, okay? Like the leather holster, I would have to pierce through this, this neoprene nylon material and actually pull the trigger, okay? Um, trigger is still, still uh, cocked, so we didn't pull the trigger on that one. All nylon, let's try that one, okay? So same thing, if, if, I just can't, I can't get it in there, okay? I can't get my fingers through enough to pull this trigger. So the idea of this one where the uh, nylon somehow caused the, the gun to go off, uh, not plausible. The issue with this is that the user said that he might have um, had his shirt get tucked into the into the trigger, okay, and didn't realize it. Um, and then somehow when he moved around, the uh, the gun went off. So now what I want to do is see if I can't recreate exactly um, this issue where your shirt gets caught in through the trigger guard and somehow uh, activates the trigger. Okay, so this gun. The, uh, it's clear and the trigger is is um, is ready to go okay so we will know if we pull the trigger so I'm going to put my shirt right through here and bunch it up and I'm going to put it in this holster and I'm going to holster it now obviously if you do something like this um, probably not following many safety rules to begin with, okay? But the idea here is we're trying to recreate this, okay? So an issue that I brought up with the incident was the person carried the gun on the small of the back. Now, it's hard to see when you're holstering or unholstering your gun back here, okay? So I'm not using small of the back. I use appendix style 99% of the time. Sometimes I'll put it on my hip. And that is a, a, a big bonus or positive from carrying like this because you can actually see and deliberately reholster your gun. But let's see if we can't recreate this. So I am going to pull on my shirt and this doesn't pull the trigger, didn't pull the trigger there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just try to wad this up as much as I can Try it again, okay, pulled on that, still didn't pull the trigger. So how could I get it to work? The only way I could find to get this to work is to actually thread my shirt through the trigger guard and have this wrap up around either the, the uh, grip of the gun or maybe around the back slide of the gun and then pull and you could hear it the gun fired okay now the gun fired so let's try it one more time the only way i could get that to recreate itself is to actually thread this shirt through here holster it and then pin it on the gun itself pin it back on the gun itself 
then pull on the on the shirt, causing the gun to fire. Okay, that would not, for my, you know, reality would tell me that that would not be an incident that would routinely come up, and that would come up without you having some sort of um, idea that something was wrong, right? Um, if you're holstering a gun, the the chance of this happening getting through here, if you're even remotely paying attention to what you're doing, is is pretty pretty rare and then you know all that other the shirt being pinned on top of the gun or something like that um, not likely okay so other than that you know we kind of looked at the nylon holster the gun didn't go off through externally the trigger externally pressing the gun or pressing the trigger the idea even stated in the article was that uh, the shirt somehow bunched up in the trigger guard and we kind of showed that it's very hard to do. I'm not saying it's impossible to do, but it's very hard to do and it's not very likely. Um, so what is the issue, you know, uh, what can we learn from this incident? Well, number one is that you always have to be safe when you're holstering your firearm regardless of what type of holster, whether it's a Kydex um, or a nylon holster. I've been demonstrating this with a Kydex holster, okay? Um, so, you know, if you have the idea that Kydex is infallible and that, you know, if I have a Kydex holster, nothing can go wrong, you absolutely could have something fall into your Kydex holster, get wedged in there. Your Kydex holster could break um, a piece of, you know, uh, kydex could chip off or or crack and, and be pushed in inward towards your your uh, trigger when you go to reholster it uh, activates that trigger uh, there's screws and and um, clips on your your kydex holsters that can loosen up over time uh, so all this stuff I mean you have to just as much as you check the serviceability of your leather holster you have to do it with your kydex holster too there's no one holster out there that allows you to turn off your brain and forget about the safety rules, okay? There's just not one out there. So I hope you got a lot out of this video. Use your brain, be safe. So there you go. That's the audio from Matthew Marister uh, talking about holster dangers. Now, some takeaways from this. I think, you know, regardless if this is, if you're talking about a nylon holster, a neoprene holster, a leather holster, or even a Kydex holster, it's important to know and understand that with your holsters or really any gear that you depend upon for potentially one day saving your life or protecting you, yourself or loved ones, it's really important to be familiar with that gear, to regularly inspect it, and keep it well maintained. You know, I've got here in my hands a Kydex holster, an all Kydex holster. Now, I know some guys, I, I hear comments, I see things on Facebook that, oh, that, that you know, nylon or neoprene holster, what junk, which, you know, that may or may not be true. Uh, but guess what? Even Kydex holsters 
can and do fail. And this holster that I'm holding in my hands here has a crack in it that if you weren't careful to, you know, look over this holster closely and inspect it thoroughly, you might not notice that it has developed a crack in it. And that could be a very, that could be a dangerous thing. I mean, it could potentially be, you know, to go or go to a point where this holster completely cracks in half and my gun falls on the ground uh, or it's not adequately uh, retained. You know, someone's able to take this gun off of me very quickly and very easily because the holster is cracked and therefore it doesn't have the proper tension ho- holding the gun in place. Uh, all kinds of things could go wrong with a cracked Kydex or polymer holster. So whether it's an all Kydex or polymer holster or a cheap nylon or neoprene holster, which, you know, I mean, if they're brand new and they're, they're serviceable, they can work I, you know, typically, uh, but you got to be careful you got to watch for, uh, them getting weak or getting super soft or broken. Same is true with leather as was evident in the story that he shared where that, uh, leather holster was just so broken in and so soft, which probably was really great in terms of, you know, it was nice leather and it probably felt really great in the hand, but that doesn't necessarily make it a good holster for, carrying a gun as it was so soft it allowed some material to slip inside the trigger guard and press the trigger as it was um, you know holding a gun allowing it to fire so anyway really good stuff there from matthew marister about holster dangers watch for that be safe use good judgment and like i said inspect regularly and keep your gear well maintained so great tip there this next segment is a is is audio taken from a video in our training video library that is available only to members of Guardian Nation. And so if you are already a Guardian Nation member, you you, you may have seen this video. That's a um, I think it was put out a few weeks ago or a month or so ago. Uh, and it is about cold weather or training in adverse conditions. Primarily is geared towards cold weather. We we obviously have you know a, a large part of the country, and even if you're further south, I mean it, it can still get chilly <laughs> for, for you know compared to what you're used to typically. And so yeah, there's there's definitely some considerations that need to be had uh, about training in cold weather, uh, proper gear, you know, keeping yourself warm, things of that nature. But whether it's cold or wet or uh, Whatever it is, training in adverse conditions is something that is important to do. And so, you know what? Before I get too much into the analysis of it, let's go ahead and play back the audio from this training video, like I said, found in the members-only area of Guardian Nation. And so if you've seen it already, fine. But chances are many of you listening to this podcast have not seen this video. And so we're going to play back the audio, give you a little sample of the type of things that are available in the training video library for Guardian Nation members. So I hope that you'll you know, obviously check out Guardian Nation as well. But anyway, we'll play back the audio and I'll see you on the other side. I'd like to just talk a little bit about cold weather training. It's something that many of us, especially if you're in the northern parts of the country, you have to deal with. It's a struggle, it sucks, it makes it really hard to want to go out and shoot. But I think that training in cold or less than ideal conditions is really important and maybe just that much more important than training when it's perfectly nice and and good out. So, you know, when the crap hits the fan, 
You don't know what the conditions are going to be like. And I like to plan for the worst and hope for the best. So part of that would mean training when things are certainly less than ideal. Today, we've had a cold snap here in Colorado. I mean, it is late October, and certainly we get these things typically each year. Uh, but we just had a little bit of snow yesterday, and today we wake up, and it's sunny, it's nice, but it's cold. Uh, it's making it a little bit difficult and miserable to shoot and film for this training video today. So I thought it was a perfect opportunity to talk about how I train for less than ideal conditions. Uh, let's start with some of the gear I'm wearing. I mean, obviously I got a good warm hat covering the ears, keeping the head warm. Uh, I've got these mechanics gloves. They're not super warmly insulated or anything, but they're just enough for today's weather, hovering right around 36, 38 degrees, to take that edge off and I still have some dexterity. I'm able to manipulate the weapon, handle the magazines. In fact, even in cold climates and during cold parts of the year, uh, as much as I can, I try to wear a lighter glove uh, unless I'm gonna be outside for extended periods of time so that I still can maintain that manipulation ability uh, of my firearm for self-defense purposes. I've got a fairly, you know, it's a warm, but it's a light jacket. Uh, it keeps me warm in, in temperatures like this. If it gets much below freezing, it's gonna need to, you know, I'm gonna have to upgrade the jacket. I'm actually wearing some body armor today because it's an extra layer of insulation that honestly keeps the core really warm. It's not something I have on all the time, but uh, I thought, hey, why not? I'm gonna throw on the soft body armor. And it's gonna help keep me warm today. And it's also a great opportunity for me to train and do some manipulations and some movement with the body armor on, with the jacket on, all this gear on. Uh, I'm not doing anything special with my lower part of my body, uh, normal pants, my shoes or my normal shoes. I just have some wool socks on today, keeping the feet just a little bit warmer than I normally would, would have them. So that's my gear for today. I'm gonna to be doing some shooting with the new FN 509 uh, 9mm pistol. Uh, this, is a, this is a great gun, let me tell you. The first time I shot it, I was wowed by just how good it is for me. I don't know that it would be the case for every shooter, but it just naturally pointed. Uh, and I, I found I'm able to shoot very quickly, naturally, accurately. Uh, I just really have fallen in love with the FN 509 and so far it's been flawless in its performance. Very reliable and very accurate and very fast. The trigger is phenomenal. Uh, it works, works great. Uh, I love the grip, the texture to the grip. It's perfect for, for me. I know I'm wearing the gloves today, but without the gloves, this amount of stippling I, I think is ideal for me in a defensive handgun. Uh, it's just a, a good all-around gun. The one thing I might do is upgrade the sights. This does not have tritium night sights. Uh, it's three-dot sights. They actually look like, I don't know, they kind of have a greenish hue. So they might, I haven't tested them yet with a flashlight or, or anything. Uh, they almost look like they would glow in the dark, which I'm not exactly a fan of. I'd rather just have either plain white sights or tritium night sights, one of the two. So it's a kind of a plain Jane model as far as the sights go. But other than that, it's what you're, you know, to expect from a 509 from FM. So uh, today, like I say, we're out in the cold, we're training, trying to stay warm. That's probably one of the things is that I'm going to try to do some movement drills today, keep myself on my feet, moving about, keeping the blood flowing. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's what we're going to try to do. The thing I want to touch on, though, is just how important it is to train 
how you're likely to find yourself in these less than ideal conditions. Well, if I'm wearing a jacket, if I'm wearing some he heavier clothing underneath, if I've got gloves on, things like that, that are less than ideal for shooting, I should get accustomed to and find accommodations for how to work around those things. Shooting with gloves is not always ideal, especially with a handgun. But the more you do it, the easier it gets, the more you get used to it. You get used to that slight lack of feedback and dexterity from the fingers. Uh, the jacket obviously is gonna get a little more in the way of, of drawing and uh, you know getting to a spare mag and things like that. Basically to sum it up for today, the, the key is, is to get out, train, no matter the conditions, take those opportunities to learn how you might respond and what you're gonna have to do to still remain effective even when the conditions are less than ideal. Train with the gloves, train with the jackets, train with everything else, get used to it. Train in the mud, train in the rain, train in the snow. Uh, you'll see some price some training videos coming from us this through, throughout the rest of this winter where there's gonna be white stuff on the ground and it's not fun and it's hard, but it's good to get out and do that. So find the opportunities to get out and train even when it's less than ideal. So there you go. Uh, training in adverse conditions, cold weather considerations, things of that nature. So as I was touching on earlier, you know, just a minute ago, a few minutes ago, about uh, some takeaways from this particular uh, audio segment, I, th I think the big thing is to don't let adverse conditions hinder you or keep you from getting out to the range and practicing or going through some training. Because I know it's less than ideal and I know it's less fun when we try to go shoot or practice or train uh, when it's cold or rainy out or windy or uh, it's a blizzard or whatever, uh, you know. I, it's just so easy to to look out the window and go, eh, I'm not going to go today. But don't don't be that person. You know, take that opportunity and take advantage of that opportunity because I'll tell you what, some of the most valuable lessons I've learned about handling my firearm, about shooting, about being effective regardless of the conditions came because of training in adverse conditions. You might not necessarily learn or realize that the way you purchase and get a hold of your slide to rack to rack your slide and manipulate the slide of your gun, you may not realize that what you're doing today when conditions are ideal, as far as right now, I'm, I'm getting a hold of my, my slide and my hands are dry, the slide's dry, everything is just picture perfect, and it's really easy to manipulate the gun. You might not discover that a little bit of water, or it could be blood, and blood's probably more, actually it is more slippery, uh, particularly on metal than uh, water, but having some, some sort of uh, weather element uh, mixed into the picture here. And suddenly that purchase that, you know, that, that grip that you get on the slide is not adequate anymore. Or maybe those serrations on the particular gun that you choose to carry, uh, they work just fine under normal ideal conditions. And now you just really struggle getting good purchase uh, due to a little bit of moisture or whatever it is on that gun. That's really a really important thing to learn, I think, to be a little bit better prepared and, and to know a little bit better what to expect. That when things are less than ideal, you've got to make some accommodations. You've got to uh, 
maybe try a little bit harder or, or do things, you know, maybe use a little bit different technique. Maybe you use the old, you know, pinching between your index finger and the thumb slingshot technique for working your slide. And then suddenly that does not work with less than ideal conditions. And so you got to switch to a, a more, you know, full handed, uh, hand over top of the slide type approach to working that slide. So, there's just, and I know that's only one aspect. I mean, hitting the mag release, working a slide stop, working the slide, even working the trigger on your gun. All of that can be negatively impacted when shooting or training or having to defend your life in less than ideal conditions. So big takeaway from today's episode and from that little segment is, yeah, you, you, you could talk about gloves, training with gloves or having warm you know, uh, whether it's a coat or jacket or shirt or underwear or whatever it is, that's all, that's all great, but get out there and train in these less than ideal weather, you know, winter conditions, uh, or any other less than ideal condition, get out there, train, practice, and learn those lessons that you need to learn so that you know what to do, or at least how to do it a little bit better when things are not as great outside. So Anyway, I hope that you found that little bit there in those lessons to be learned. I hope you found that valuable. So now typically with our uh, end of the week or midweek episodes, when we talk where we take a topic about concealed carry or self-defense and break it down, uh, we have a pick of the week. And I do have a pick this week. I know I'm all alone today. We miss Jacob or, or Matthew or, you know, whoever. But I do have a pick for you today, and I'll get into that in just a minute. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Glock eTrainer. Go check that out, GlockETrainer.com, and also by Guardian Nation. And I know I've already kind of talked about it, and I've already you know, mentioned some of the great benefits of being Guardian Nation members, having access to those training videos in our library for Guardian Nation members only. Uh, that's hugely valuable, of course. But there's tons of other great benefits. And one other really awesome benefit is that recently we shipped just earlier this month, and you may have just received it earlier this week, our Guardian Nation gear boxes. Uh, This is a quarterly box that we ship out to all qualifying Guardian Nation members. And this last week, some of you uh, or many of you may have received your uh, most recent quarter's box. And a lot of great stuff in there. In fact, I've got one thing here on my pocket. And this was a product uh, from uh, Griffin uh, Tools. And this is the, the just a simple little pry bar, uh, although it has a lot of other uh, features to it as well. And, you know, having a, a proper pry bar, something like this that's small, slim, concealable. Uh, you can even, it's got kind of like a little clip of sorts as well. I just had it slipped onto, onto my pocket. Uh, and uh, having a proper pry bar can be very valuable as opposed to using your knife to pry with, which, I mean, yeah, appropriate tools for, for, for various things. And this is a great little pry bar that was included in this quarter's box. It's branded on there. It's got a little uh, laser-etched uh, Guardian Nation logo. So you'll you'll have that as kind of a, a keepsake uh, being for being a Guardian Nation member. Really cool little uh, uh, item in this this latest uh, box, along with a bunch of other great things too that were in there. But here's the thing: November is a great time to join Guardian Nation if you're gonna, if, especially if you're planning on uh, 
being a monthly subscriber to Guardian Nation because you need to be a member for at least three months. If you're a monthly subscribing member, you need to be a member for the preceding three months, the preceding quarter, you know, from the time that we ship a box. So for instance, we just shipped one in November. To get that box, you needed to be a member in October, September, and August. All right. So for our next box, which ships in February, you need to be a member in November, December, and January for those three months. And then you qualify for the February box, which I promise you is going to be a good one. It'll be awesome. So now you could be a quarterly subscribing member or an annually subscribing member, which those would make you automatically qualifying. Uh, But November is a great time to join. We have just a few more days left. And also Guardian Nation members get access to special deals and sales. And right now we do have a special, it's our annual Black Friday slash Cyber Monday sale going on that you get access to some really crazy good deals. Now, many of the doorbusters, I think most of them are gone, but there's still some really good stuff left. Uh, Go check out guardiannation.com. Find out how to get in on the special deals as part of our latest sale. Find out about our training videos online and also our boxes and everything else that comes with being a Guardian Nation member. So sorry, I'll I'll stop beating on on this dead horse, Uh, but we appreciate those of you that are Guardian Nation members and that support us and support the podcast and make all this possible. All right, on to my pick this week. My pick this week is a new product from Excess Sites. Now, you may be familiar with Excess Sites because of their famous Big Dot Sites. So Big Dot Sites, they they, they came out with this idea of a big front dot, okay, for your front site. And your rear was just this shallow V, okay? So not a notch, like most people are probably accustomed to. And people have found that they really like this arrangement because it's super quick for target, or excuse me, for site acquisition. And it's really easy to see that big front dot. And if you use kind of a, if you use a focus on the target approach as far as acquiring your site picture, uh, which is certainly appropriate in a lot of defensive encounters, uh, and is more natural, like this is what you're more likely to do is to be focused on your threat during a deadly force encounter. Having that big front, very obvious front sight and that big dot can be really helpful because it's just so easy to superimpose that onto you to your target, your intended target, see where that's at, get everything aligned, pull the trigger, right? So excess sites broke the mold by not, you know, sticking with the classic post and notch site arrangement, but they decided to accommodate those of you that really like your classic front post and rear notch sites. They have come out with their own version of a post and notch site. And I'll tell you what, I think this is a winner. This is the new F8 Night Sights from Excess Sights. You get a nice big front orange dot, which has great contrast uh, on a variety, you know, basically all backgrounds and targets. It's easy to see this big orange dot. Now the the orange makes up that makes up this ring in this, you know, this outer ring on this dot is photoluminescent. So that means it picks up ambient light, or you could shine a flashlight on it, make it super bright. I've got a, you know, a bright flashlight here in my hand and flash this here real quick on the front sight. And bam, this thing just 
it glows like you wouldn't believe way brighter than than tritium at night um it does they do have tritium though in these sites okay there's a front tritium vial just in the center of the dot that is also very bright if that photoluminescent portion is not you know, maybe you just pulled this out of your holster that was concealed, uh, you know, in, inside a, your waistband, inside a holster. And so that front outer ring is not, uh, you know, brightly glowing. Well, the tritium comes up really nicely, very bright, easy to see. There's a rear tritium vial. It is just one little uh, dot below the rear notch. Uh, so this is kind of a dot the eye type uh, approach. Uh, some of you prefer that. Maybe some of you not so much. I'll tell you what. I think with a, just a few minutes, you know, a, a, a single training session of learning how to use this dot the eye is very simple and intuitive to figure out. Uh, now, some of their sites their classic big dot sites with the rear shallow V has a little line. So you actually dot like a true eye with the site picture. This is just a, a front dot and a rear dot. And all you got to do is put one above the other. It's really easy to do and you'll figure it out very quickly, especially in low light conditions. Uh, so these during daylight function more like a, a blacked out rear site with a nice big, uh, you know, bright front dot there on the front site. Uh, you got a nice, wide profile, big dot front with a wide, very generous rear notch. This just makes it very easy to see, to acquire, to to bring everything into a line and make it work. Okay. Now they may not be ideal for super precise, uh, you know, bullseye type shooting, but that's not their purpose. This is, these are, this is a defensive handgun sight uh, a set is the way I see it. Uh, so you can get quick acquisition, get it on target fast, pull the trigger when you need to. So for that, they are great. They're easy to see, easy to get sight picture, very fast acquisition. I think these are a winner from access sites. I'm highly recommending them. In fact, I was so impressed with them. I mentioned that to access sites and I've been testing these out on my Glock 19 and I do have a number of other models available, but they have a ton more coming very soon. And I mentioned to them, I was so impressed that I like them so well. They sent me another set for my Glock 43 to try out and also do a review on. And I mean, they're, they're very, very much, you know, obviously uh, the, the same sites, the front, in fact, the front post, uh, as far as I can tell between the Glock 43 and Glock 19 models, the, the front site between these is the same. Looks like the same profile, same width, same height, uh, same dot. Uh, it's just the rear is a narrower rear sight to fit the narrower slide on the Glock 43. So I've got these now mounted on the Glock 43, took it out to the range, and I am super impressed. It is such a huge improvement over stock sights on your, on your especially on a small micro com- compact type, you know, uh, single stack uh, gun like a, like a Glock 43. Good sights can make a huge difference when, when you need sights. And so these are a winner in my in my opinion. I know this is a little bit more detailed and longer uh, review uh, on the podcast. Normally, we we mention products, we say hey 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 here's our pick. Uh, but I figured this is a little bit uh, probably different and maybe a shorter episode than usual. And these are a really great product worth checking out. They just released these. Uh, they're not even yet on the web, on their website as far as being able to set uh, to to you know buy them, but they will be. You'll be able to buy these very soon. Uh, 
you can check out their site, excesssites.com. Link in the show notes. Go check it out. You'll see all the details and specs behind the new XS F8 Night Sights. Great product. Go check it out. And watch for a full-length review from me on, on, the, on the website, concealedcarry.com, on these F8 Night Sights. So with that, it is time to wrap up this episode. Uh, Jacob and I will be on the podcast on Monday morning recording our start of the week, typical you know news uh, episode. And we've got some great stories that we'll be t- discussing in Monday's episode. We look forward to seeing you there and hope you'll enjoy listening. A reminder to if you went to the range, particularly on Thanksgiving Day with friends or family or even just by yourself to enjoy some time exercising your Second Amendment rights. I'd love to see your pictures. Send those to podcast at concealedcarry.com. Or if you have just any suggestions, comments, questions, topics that you'd like to hear us talk about or talk about more, um, you can send those to podcast at concealedcarry.com. Those emails come directly to Jacob and I, and we are pretty quick to respond and or at least let you know we're going to talk about that on upcoming episode. So with that, I will let you go and we'll see you Monday. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.